On today's episode, I have the founder of a beauty tech e-commerce business who's here to talk about how to build a brand for the longer term. Do stay tuned. Welcome to 2X e-commerce, the e-commerce marketing growth podcast where you ask questions and I, Kenei, answers them. Also hear from proven marketing growth experts who are number one or number two in specialist areas of online retail marketing. So if you work in or own an online retail business, listen in, get involved, join me, and let's put some fuel to skyrocket your e-commerce growth. So on the inbound marketing strategies, how do you beat Amazon? Natural search and our search engine position is critical to the customer flow through the website. I personally would not have an account process interrupt checkout flow at all. My favorite customer lifetime value calculation is an easy one. It's your average order value times that purchase frequency times uh, your customer lifespan. I'm Kune Campbell. Let's get rolling. This episode is brought to you by Clavio. It is a game-changing email automation tool specifically built for scaling e-commerce businesses. I'm not just saying it. I use Clavio in my e-commerce store and in stores I advise for. Household names in the e-commerce space such as Brooklyn Inn, Bonobos, and Chobis use Clavio. Here's why. Clavio has one of the most impressive feature sets in the e-commerce email personalization space at the moment. Besides the one-click setup, Clavio's Pixel tracks visitor behavior to help you set up highly effective custom email funnels. Clavio also offers pre-built autoresponders for cart abandonment, upsells, and win-back campaigns. Clavio's most game-changing feature is its Facebook audiences integration, which helps your email list to sync up with your Facebook ad campaigns. So as you continue to scale up your store, Clavio will help automate a lot more sales. Try Clavio today on Clavio.com, spelt K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kunde Campbell, and this is the podcast dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. I am super excited with today's guest. His name is Josh, and he's the founder of a brand, of a beauty tech brand called snow 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 is the word and um, they started out with teeth whitening products and they're already an eight-figure business in 12 months of business or or more he'll he'll, our first full year yeah first full year eight figures he's been an entrepreneur he's 25 by the way He's, he's been an entrepreneur for about 12 years since he was like 13 years old and he's built multiple fast growth e-commerce businesses. And the reason why he's sort of moved into this is more the longevity of building a brand. I'm not going to say too much, but welcome to the show, Josh. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Fantastic. Could you take a minute or or less to to briefly introduce yourself to to, to talk to to listeners, please? Of course. Uh, You know, I... I would, I'm someone who I didn't know I was going to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to go to medical school, um, you know, coming from a very humble background. I wanted to always be able to make my family proud. Um, you know, uh, and my, my father left a, a great career in Spain to be the first in his family to come out to the United States and 
um, you know, being the youngest in my family, I wanted to, um, I wanted to make my siblings proud. I wanted to make my mother proud, my father proud and my community proud to show what's possible when you release all of those limiting beliefs. And I kind of knew that in a very small way when I was growing up, I knew I wanted to do something great, but uh, you only know what you know and, and not having a lot of entrepreneurs in my family, it was either doctor, lawyer, wh whatever it was, a businessman, but I didn't think entrepreneurship. And it was, uh, you know, when I was 13, as uh, when I had my first stumble into entrepreneurship. And frankly, I felt embarrassed because um, I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. And all I knew was that it was not a for sure thing. And it was also a bit taboo to go back to my family and say, uh, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. I don't want to go to medical school. I want to be an entrepreneur, which is, which is very risky. Um, but I wanted to, I felt that I was being limited in, in my pursuits. And I don't do well with, with limits. And so for me, I wanted to be limitless. And I felt that entrepreneurship was, for me, uh, it's a double-edged sword. You know, it's like once you recognize that, it's an exciting time. But it's also a very scary and lonely time because you recognize that, uh, you know, being a successful entrepreneur is uh, in many ways very lonely um, because you have to live inside of your own brain and you have to live in the future um, and you have to sell that future to your team and to your partners. So anyway, that, that was at 13. All I knew was I want to make some money. I want to help my family out. I feel limited. Uh, and I, I've got to do something. Nobody wanted to give me a job because I was too young. So I said, I've got to create my own job, which means I guess I have to be an entrepreneur. And I remember even going to Google and typing in what is an entrepreneur? What does an entrepreneur do day to day? Uh, how do you become an entrepreneur? Like, do you go to school for it? I don't know. And so for me, it was, it was learning programming when I was 13 years old, I learned how to program. And then I started to make websites for my teachers and their, their friends and making a few hundred dollars here and there. And I was able to go back and tell my parents that, you know, Hey, I could buy, I could buy my own socks. I could buy my own clothes for school and being able to release that pressure, even though my parents have always provided for me. Um, you know, and I, I, I grew up in a hump up, uh, financially, a humble background, but I, I had everything else that I needed. So it wasn't like, uh, for me, it was about independence, but also being able to, to relieve that pressure from my family and be able to buy things like underwear and socks. The, those are some of the best, the proudest moments for me was when I realized that I could buy my own school supplies. Interesting. Interesting. Can I ask a quick question? Um, more or less at that point in time at 13, um, how, what was the value of entrepreneurship as compared to education? How did you weigh things and, and the future ahead of you? Well, I read a quote one day from Mark Twain and Mark Twain said, uh, never let schooling interfere with your education. And that really hit me hard because I felt that I wasn't learning enough. I felt that I wasn't learning fast enough. And so I realized that I had to find other outlets to, to learn in the, the way that I wanted to learn. And so I knew that Schooling for me was always going to be uh, limited, um, but I, I was really good at it. And so when you're really good at something, you think that you have to do it. And so because I was good at school and that was the model, and it still is the model out there, um, but when you're a diehard entrepreneur, um, you don't do well in those structured environments, especially to learn. And so for me, the way I coped with, with that was understanding that there's a huge value of education in my household in the community, in life in general, 
But if I could, my, my goal was to keep my education going, but simultaneously be able to build this. And so that's why I was able to graduate, uh, you know, number one in my class, straight, straight A grades, perfect grades, perfect test scores, because I said, I should not only be great outside of school, I should also be great in school. And so that was my pursuit was to keep the education there. I have a university degree. You know, I have straight A's, perfect, all of that. I have an honors degree, all of that. Um, and then I wanted to also have this because I thought in the future, if I were to have kids, I want to be able to uh, show, be the model for my children, but also the community that you can be the best entrepreneur, but you don't have to do an either or, you can be an end. And for me, that was very important to me. That's fascinating. Very, very fascinating. Um, you, you, you graduated top of your class. You have a, a university Correct. degree. And at 25, you have an eight-figure business. You, you guys are pushing about $2 million a month in, in your business at Smile. Um, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, I think I'm talking to a genius and I'm not being patronizing here. So let's get into the evolution from um, more or less your engineering background to your more e-commerce. When, when did you start selling stuff online? When did you move from selling your time, which, which is how you started your journey for money to, to actually selling products and leveraging your time? So it, uh, you know, I, I found, uh, I found the comparison to a lot of entrepreneurs where you kind of, you discover a skill that's marketable and you have the ability to sell your time. And then, uh, I ended up building a very large team while I was still at university. I, I finished uh, all of my degree at 20 years old. Um, and so for me, it was, um, running, you know, running a, a large business from my dormitory room. Um, and then, uh, for me, what I realized is even though we started to charge, we had a $50,000 minimum for clients and we were managing about $120 million a year. Um, and what I found, I went from programming to design, um, because it's got to work well, but if people don't like it and, and want to use it, then it, then it, that's not good. So it was like programming design. And then I had a client come to me one day and said, said, Josh, your guys, you guys are the best at programming. You figure everything out. You're the fastest, the best. Your, your design, incredible. You have a great eye for design, great designers. But once that project is done, I no longer pay you. And you have to go get a new client to get that money again. And I was like, yeah, isn't that business? I, I, that's it. He says, yes, but if you learn this other piece, which is sales, if you learn how to sell, then I could pay you every single month. And so as soon as that clicked in my head, I went and read every single book that I could get, every single pro, everything I could grab my hands on, I consumed it in record time, I was sleeping two or three hours a night. Just I couldn't sleep because I felt like I had to level up fast for my team, for my clients and for the market. So then I started to focus on sales and communication and marketing. And all of a sudden we started to build a real business. And then um, one day I searched on Google and I, you know, I said, how much does an agency sell for? You know, if I ever want to sell this thing one day and I found that the multiples were not where I wanted them to be. And I felt that we needed to pivot to be more of a platform. So we used our programming expertise, our design expertise to build a, a platform that was a lot more scalable, a more of a software platform where we had the agency on top of it that sat on top of the, the platform. And now I was able to build a business that I was able to sell, you know, almost four years ago. 
And the reason why I sold that business was because we started selling products of our, of our own. And what I found that with a product, it's an incredibly scalable way to build a business because if you build a really good product, just like SaaS can be a product too, software products, physical products, um, we, we build these products out and we can sell them to a million people every single month and a million people can have the same experience. And if you do a really good job by your customers, then you can get those customers again and again and again, just like the best client you have is the one you already have. Um, everybody's focused on getting new customers. We're focused at uh, renewing our customers and getting them excited about what we're building. So I knew that physical products was a way for us to break the international layer of things. And now we have several brands that are in the eight figures that are very successful, all self-funded. We own everything and we're able to create the best products, build a, uh, build a customer base and then sell them more of our products and then internationally expand. And that's how most of the, the highly, highly successful entrepreneurs have figured out like Tesla, you know, Elon Musk wants to sell energy. Uh, he wants to go to Mars, but he knows he's got to have the software, the tech, and he's got to have the design. It's got to look sexy like Tesla. And he's got to be the best sales and marketing engine. He's figured out the three in a market that's huge, automobiles, but he's using that to build what he really wants, which is the power to have control over the trillion dollar power and energy market. And that's going to help him propel him literally into space. And so thinking through that, I found that product productizing was the only way that I would be able to build something for 50 years without limits. I hate limits. And a product, I can sell a million products a day uh, to a million different people every single day. And that's only the US population, 360 million. Every day I can sell to a million new people and just be in the US. That was a challenge that I wanted to take on. I could only do it by building uh, a productized business. Interesting. What's the first physical product you sold? We have, uh, so we have a garage door business and uh, a buddy of mine ha has a very successful service business. So if your garage uh, stops working, you call his company out. It's uh, in the tens of millions of dollars in sales every single year. And we were talking one day and, uh, and we thought about it and said, why can't you buy this stuff online? You know, why can't you go and fix it yourself? And in 2008 to 2010, there was that recession and people were more apt to try to do something themselves to save some money. Um, but there was an inefficiency in the market, very antiquated uh, methodologies in the uh, garage door market. Uh, people didn't understand technology design. So we wanted to bring technology design to that market. And so we started to sell those big, ugly springs that go on the garage door to keep them coming up and going down. Yeah. And we figured out a way to sell a million variations of that spring uh, of sizes online in a very easy way. And so that was the initial, I was, you know, I was a, a super affiliate, meaning I sold millions of dollars a year as an affiliate for other people's companies. Um, and we did that as kind of side projects inside of our company because in between clients, um, I never wanted to fire anybody. So I always created new opportunities for us to make money in between clients. So we would just grab, you know, proactive for acne skincare. We would grab a hair care product. We would grab Whatever it was, we would grab and we would sell it. And that would allow us to, to, to keep growing without having to rely solely on new clients. And then eventually it was like, I want to own the product. I want to own the patents. I want to own the technology. And I want to own the distribution. 
and it just became, remember limits. So for me, I was limited by how much we could sell. We would sell million dollars in one month of someone's product. And then they would run out of product and say, stop selling. And I said, they don't know how to run their business. I have to run the business because we are being limited again. So that was, you know, the first few things I was selling weren't mine. And then eventually they, they were ours. And now we only sell our products. Okay. So you transitioned from an affiliate marketing, um, you know, um, business model through to, to a physical product, to, you know, to an e-commerce, full e-commerce business model. What, what year was this? How, how, how long ago was this? This was probably, so by the time I was 18 years old, I was already a super affiliate. I actually, uh, I remember receiving an invitation to the Playboy Mansion um, because I was the top affiliate for that entire uh, company. And I was using my dad's name at the time because I wasn't yet 18 years old to get checks in my name. And I remember getting my, the, the invitation came in in my dad's name. And, uh, and it was hilarious because <laughs> here's my dad being invited to the Playboy Mansion. Um, and I couldn't go and I really wanted to go. And I even, I even tried to devise techniques to try to sneak into the Playboy Mansion and let them know that it was really me all along. This kid is the one that's, that's killing it all and doing well. Um, and so I was 17, 18 years old when I was, was really breaking through affiliate marketing. And then we continued to do that as we built out our platform. And I gave my employees the opportunity to run those campaigns and run those marketing uh, initiatives. So we continued to do it um, throughout. But that pivot started to happen when I, was, when I finished university 20. By 21 and 22 is when I realized that uh, I had outgrown. I was outgrowing my role as a leader and I needed a bigger challenge, and my team also wanted bigger challenges. Okay, interesting. What was your primary customer acquisition channel? In the very early days, so I studied searches and optimization um, at, a, at a very, very intimate level, and YouTube, um, Google had acquired YouTube in 2006. They kind of let it sit for a few years, and in 2009, 2008, 2009, 2010, they started to really integrate YouTube into Google's uh, search results, and so I figured out how to quickly spin up videos that would generate hundreds of thousands of views. And still to this day, I, I, every, every now and then I'll get a check in the mail, uh, uh, you know, from some of these companies that are still around from those videos that generate sales organically. And so YouTube was there, but then I was also limited by the algorithm because I had to wait for those results to come in and I didn't like that limit. So then that's where I was forced to learn paid advertising. And that's where Google advertising became our primary channel. Uh, you know, very large Google ad campaigns. Um, Facebook was rolling out their initial advertising products. So Facebook became huge for us. Um, YouTube was rolling out their first YouTube ad units. And so we started to buy ads everywhere that we could. Um, and we, we use our own software, our own technology to do that. And it made it better for us, which meant it was better for the client. Um, so we were able to eat our own dog food in that sense of being able to test it on ourselves, make money with it ourselves, and then give that opportunity to our clients. So it was a really good hand-in-hand -hand relationship. Okay. And, and how's with, with Smile, the, the brand Smile, how, how has acquisition morphed you know, um, today? So Snow now has uh, a diversified, it's an omni-channel approach. We're still very heavy on Facebook and Instagram. Um, those are, uh, in other words, wherever the eyeballs are at, we're, we're going to gravitate toward. Uh, and right now, Facebook and Instagram and YouTube have the, and Google as well, have the majority of those eyeballs. So we're very heavy spenders on those platforms. 
but for the first time, we're now able to take advantage of influencers and celebrities. Um, and that has allowed us to uh, elevate our brand. In addition to spending millions and millions of dollars uh, of my own money on research and development this year on our new system that's launching in, in about a month and a half from now, we're also spending a lot of money, time, and effort behind uh, strategic celebrities and influencers um, and really building out complex deals, whether it's licensing, royalties, cash, figuring out what those big A-listers and then uh, our customers are really selling for us. Um, so we have a strong affiliate program for our customers to be able to refer their friends. Because what happens is someone uses the snow teeth whitening system and they have whiter teeth. They go to work and people are saying, wow, your teeth look really good. Uh, what are you using or what are you doing? Are you using strips or what are you using? It's like, no, it's this company called Snow. You know, uh, I, I saw an ad with Floyd Mayweather. I saw an ad with Miss Universe and uh, I wanted to check it out. So I, I bought it and it worked. Um, you should check it out. Actually use my code and I'll get $30 um, and, and, and you'll get a little bit of discount and you'll be able to get the product. So um, for us, it's, it's now Google, Facebook, Instagram, influencers, YouTube, a lot of advertising across those platforms, native advertising. So Taboola, Outbrain, um, these newer ones where the eyeballs are at. And then now we're doing, you know, TV, uh, we're doing offline with retail, with big retailers, QVC, Costco. So now we're looking at the big retailers bringing our patented technology. Uh, we wanted to create something that was highly sophisticated, but that was also uh, incredibly easy to use. Within a 30 seconds, you should know how to use it. It has to work every single time. We have a five-year warranty, results guarantee. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't look good. It's the same thing, technology, design, and marketing. So the technology has got to be unique. No one can be able to copy it. Otherwise, the retailers don't feel confident in selling something that's not truly unique. It has to work. If it doesn't work, you'll make quick money, but then you won't have a brand. And then you have to have the ability to distribute. So the best entrepreneurs in the world are able to combine the technology, whether that's actual technology or just the uniqueness of your product design, and also the ability to sell it like no other. And so we're doing that with Snow. And so we're looking for the first time in our life, we're looking at mass retail distribution of, of, of the largest stores in the world. Um, being able to put our products in, in Harrods and Saks and Nordstrom. Uh, and for the first time, these retailers are wanting to sell our product. They're wanting to sell toothpaste and mouthwash in their store next to Chanel, Yves Saint Laurent, you know, Bulgari, Cartier, and Snow. So being able to uh, combine that, the celebrities have been helpful in that. But if we don't have products that the celebrities are proud of, they won't show it off. And we get, we get a lot of celebrities reaching out and actually purchasing from us because they go over to a celebrity's house and they see the product there and they're like, Oh, I need to get one of those. And they order on their phone real quick. So you have people with 20 million followers are buying our product because their friend who has 50 million followers is tying them to buy it. So it's a really unique influencer model where we have, we're influencing the influencers um, and, and using our product as a vehicle to, to, to do that. There's a lot to talk about. You just went through quite, quite, quite a lot. I'm going to start out with celebrities and then I'll move on to TV. Okay. TV advertising. Okay. So starting with, um, with, with it. So starting with, with celebrities, um, Floyd Mayweather, I was on your website. I checked out a photo on, on the photo area of the website showing Floyd, you know, May, Mayweather, you know, using, you know, endorsing your product more or less. I did check out his Instagram and I couldn't find that photo. Um, what was the impact of, 
Floyd, um, Floyd Mayweather. Um, first of all, how did you get Floyd May- Mayweather to, 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 to actually, you know, um, endorse your product? And what was that impact when he held a snow package and had your product, a snow teeth whitening product in, in his mouth? What was the impact? Did you, did you see a flurry of sales? Was it sustained over a period of time or was it a burst? Could you reverse, could you just share, you know, your, your experience here? Yeah, so Floyd, Floyd and his team actually they re- they reached out to us because the uh, Conor McGregor endorsed an Australian company a, a product that is in a is similar space as us, the same space as us, but sells to a you know much younger audience. And so, you know, Floyd being the highest paid celebrity in the world, two hundred eighty five million dollars he made last year. Uh, Money is important to him, of course. He's Money Mayweather, but he wanted to find the very best company with the very best product. He wanted to try it himself, um, and he wanted to um, he, he wanted to one up Connor again off off you know off of fighting. He wanted to one up him again, and so once he you know tried our product, became a fan of the product, um, and once we were able to get on the phone and explain what we're actually building, um, that he was extremely interested in figuring out how to work together. And you know, he, Floyd Mayweather doesn't. You can't get him out of bed unless you've got a million dollars cash in a duffel bag. He will not. He will not talk to you unless you have a million dollars cash. So for us, it was like, how can we, how can we work with Floyd Mayweather to activate the male market? Because men don't buy men don't buy uh, teeth whitening uh, as often as women do. And so we wanted to show men that even the manliest men in the world uh, uh, use snow. And um, for us, we wanted to connect those dots. So we were able to work out a special arrangement with, with Floyd only because he really wanted to make this deal happen. And so we were able to work out something that was, um, you know, a mix of cash royalties, licensing. There's a, there's a kind of a mix there, but we wanted to make sure that it was a very dedicated campaign. So when he posted, it's still on his page. You got to dig a little bit, but he's got over a million views on that video and he's posted several times since then. Um, and what it's done for us is I don't look at ROI when I'm working with, uh, celebrities, I'm not looking at ROI. Uh, it's the last thing I'm looking at. You know, if you, when I'm buying Facebook ads and when we're, when we're doing TV commercials, I'm looking at ROI. When I'm working with celebrities, ROI is the last thing on there. I'm looking more at the rate of investment or the rate of loss of money. And so what I found is that if you build a real brand and you're thinking long-term, you are able to lose money better than all your competition. And we are luckily we're self-funded, but we're very well funded that we're able to, um, you know, lose a million dollars and be excited about that, you know? And so when we lose money, uh, I pat my team on the back because it means as long as we're investing in the right area, what it does is it elevates our brand value. And now all of a sudden, uh, it's easy, easier for us to get more celebrities. It's easier for us to get into retail locations. I have a question, sorry. Are you able to use that asset and other advertising you do? That photo. So that's, that's where we activate the ROI, right? So on the post itself, we, uh, you know, Floyd's, a, uh, Floyd's an ambassador and, and partner with us. We're not looking at, you know, use this coupon code or use this and track it directly. In fact, we don't, we let him post whatever he wants to post. Um, and, and it's better that way. And so what we look at is we're able to take that, uh, th- that image, that video, 
and we're able then to infuse it in our Facebook ads, our Instagram ads, our YouTube ads, our commercials on TV. And all of a sudden you see, we've got a hundred, the leverage, a hundred celebrities that are using snow. um, And you're like, whoa, why am I not using snow? Exactly. It's like, it's almost like a TV endorsement. You know, you know, when you have, you know, back in the eighties and nineties where you had Michael Jordan, you know, endorse a particular product, like, like a Nike, like the Air Jordans and, yeah. So, so that, so, so are you looking at specific audiences, you know, specific, so you, you're trying to activate the male market to, to make your product more macho. Have you identified other gaps in, in the demographics in the U S um, that, that, that you could sort of activate and get them thinking that, oh, you know, this leader of our tribe is, is using our product, you know, is using this product, you know, it's smile you know, why shouldn't we? Because again, you could just target fans of Floyd Mayweather and your Facebook ads. And, you know, that in itself, you know, could, could, could have its, um, its, its returns. Yeah. I think for us, we found that, so, so the male demographic is, is still important to us. Um, being unisex is important to us um, because uh, both men and women have teeth and uh, they both can benefit from a more confident smile. And so for us, what we found is we wanted to create a proprietary formula that nobody else could have access to. And so uh, what I've done is I went out and, and essentially swallowed up all the inventory of one of our proprietary ingredients so that no one else is able to use that ingredient. And I learned that from John Paul DeJoria, who created Paul Mitchell Hair Systems. He also created Patron Tequila. Uh, and he's one of my all-time idols. And what he did is he went out to Mexico and he toured all the tequila farms and he found the very best and he bought the entire farm, you know, within a week. And no one else has access to those agave plants where he makes the, the, the tequila from. And then he, he, then he went to the packaging and every bottle is hand-blown. So our, our, we're doing the exact same thing. We're buying the factories. We're buying the, the resources. We're doing it all. We're doing it in toothpaste and mouthwash now where no one, literally no one else will be able to have the ingredients that we have. Um, and that's important to me because it gives us the time, like a patent. You know, we've got the first, the, the first round, I didn't globalize our patents. So we've been, we've been ripped off in a very poor manner. Um, and so customers are buying products that are ruining their phone. They're ruining their device because our, our light plugs into your phone to be powered. The new version is, is not going to have that, uh, that ability, but it's totally patented. It's totally unique. And so now we've got globalized patents. So if you even copy the shape of our product, we can stop the entire factory from producing. We can go after anyone now. And so it's building that moat and putting the investment. And instead of going out and buying a Ferrari, I'm going out and buying a factory. And for me, it's like that, that factory is my Ferrari. And so because of that, that nature for us, we realized that if we, if we own like tequila, uh, Patron, the glass is hand blown, all of our products, our cost of goods on our new products are so high that, uh, just like Dyson. So Dyson's and James Dyson is another one of my idols. Their cost of goods are so high. You could buy a vacuum cleaner for 30 bucks or you buy a Dyson for 400. Well, we, what we're doing like Dyson did in the space is we're elevating the aesthetic standard for the market so that people want to buy there's good better and best if we can create the best at a better price 
that we will own the entire market. So finding, going after men, we have Miss Universe and the whole Miss Universe pageant. Miss Universe herself is an ambassador with us. So yeah. Floyd Mayweather doesn't perform well when he's advertised toward women. It's just yeah. not, it's a very manly, aggressive, that's his character, money, money, lots of girls. That doesn't appeal to women. Miss Universe, on the other hand, she appeals to women. So in uh, all of our, the Real Housewives and The Bachelor and all these celebrities on the women's side. So what we're doing now is we're going country by country and we're finding those key influencers in each country, whether it's uh, Venezuela and in, in Latin America, if it's the UK, if it's uh, China, uh, we're doing a, a, a huge push in China because now we've globalized our patents. So no one in China can rip us off. So now we're going into China retail. Um, so you're going to go in, you're going to buy an Hermes Birkin bag and a snow, a snow system, or you're going to go in and buy some Chanel makeup and a snow system. And so what we figured out is globalization is going to be key for us because there are markets like China and Venezuela and other countries that we can come in into retail, into the celebrity and really own that market with global, with, um, you know, uh, a UK version of our website, UK celebrities are all you're going to see if you're in the UK and it's going to show that you can buy that at Boots instead of Walgreens. And it, everything's going to be uh, internationalized. And so I've been beefing up our resources and spending millions of dollars to make sure that our products are defensible so that if anyone tries to rip us off, we go after them ruthlessly. So you've been, you've been at this for just 12 months? Well, we, we, I've been formulating. I've been formulating for... I, I became really good friends with a lot of celebrity dentists. Uh, I, I had jaw surgery about a year ago, uh, two years ago. Uh, and they took out the entire top part of my jaw off, off, out of my head, put it on the table, uh, took, a, took a saw, cut it in half, okay. uh, rearranged it, and put it back in my mouth with screws all into my skull. So I've been, um, you know, in addition to spending over $10,000 on, on my own teeth whitening and trying everything on the market, I've also had a lot of work done in my mouth. And so I've become really good friends was it, with was these it professionals. Or was it cosmetic? It was necessary. I had a, a misaligned jaw. So I was having jaw pain, headaches. I wasn't able to chew correctly. Okay. So I wanted to get it done. It was voluntary. It, it wasn't like an accident. But, yeah. um, you know, it was a very intense procedure. I healed very quickly from it. In two weeks, I was out speaking to the kids at the university, the programs that we run, uh, the nonprofits. And I was out there speaking to the kids two weeks after getting my jaw ripped out of my head and uh, showing them that it's all in the mind and that improvement is, is always necessary and growth. And so it was cool to be able to go and do that. I'm like swollen. Um, but I, I felt great. I loved it. I wanted to get out of the house anyway, but, um, yeah, so I, the, I've been formulating for about three years with these dentists to figure out exactly on a formulaic uh, basis, what needs to be different and then for making it proprietary. So no one else can have it. And then on the technology side, we just finally finished that side of things. So the formula we finished last year, um, and then uh, I've been very successful this year, first full year in business, but now we're taking the technology and the hardware to the next level with, with everything else we have going on. So now it's like, it's finally connecting the dots. And now that's why all the retailers want to carry our product now, because now it's a, now it's a match and it makes sense for us to do. Makes sense. Well, super interesting. Um, well, I wanted to go back to, um, to what you said. So do you have an in-house how do you come up, who came up with the, who manages the technology? You're a beauty tech company. So tech companies at their heart have developers and designers and user experience people to, to actually deliver products. 
Now, you're a beauty tech company, um, you know, deli- de- creating teeth whitening products, mouthwashes, toothbrushes, sorry, toothpaste, and next year, skincare. Where is the tech developed? Yeah, we, luckily having a background in technology, in, in my heart, I'm a geek, but I'm also a designer and a marketer. But in my heart, I'm a geek. And so for me, it's, uh, I have a fascination with, uh, with technology. And, um, and, and I'm an early adopter. I've always been. And so um, attracting, you know, people give up lucrative job offers at Google to come work at Snow because they see what we're building. And they have the ability to do something for the first time. So as opposed to building a better gadget that's already out, we're building something that's never been built before. And we're taking the same technological prowess and and innovation that you would have to compete with in the software world. We're taking that to to the beauty world. And so most of it happens first in my brain. And then I communicate it to my team. And then we have one of the best engineering teams. My engineers are anywhere between 45 to 60 years old. So they've been doing it for 30 years. And I, I, I pay them incredibly well. But aside from pay, I, I challenge them in a way. The way that I lead is high expectation, low pressure. And then I support my A players to do things that they only dreamt of. And we make them happen in record time. And our new system went from a napkin drawing that I drew to mass production in about seven or eight months. And millions of dollars, of course, were spent in that fast amount of time. But um, it allowed us to go from idea to the product actually sitting in our hands, in our office, and it's going out to celebrities next month and all of our partners. Um, And so what we do is we treat product development like we treat software development. We're iterating. We're pushing out new changes. We're constantly making it better, 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 more unique. So most of that happens in my head, then in my team, my engineering team. And then we, we consult, uh, you know, we pay a lot of money to consultants who are currently doing it for some of the largest companies in the world, whether it's Google, uh, you know, Google's Waymo project. We've got people who are consulting with us talking about self-driving and how that applies to our self-sanitation. So our new device has a self-sanitizing mechanism where it kills 99% of the bacteria in your mouthpiece after you whiten in 10 seconds. So utilizing machine learning in other words, if you're able to have a car drive itself and you use a lot of that same methodology and thinking, and we consult with someone like that with our engineering team, we take those learnings and apply it to a mouthpiece. And all of a sudden you have a superior technology. And so I'm not afraid to spend the money to find the best. And if I can't hire them, I'll consult with them and then bring them in, bring them in house to consult with my team. So it happens brain, team, outside and then ultimately market validation with our retail partners are i have a i have a board of dentists and oral surgeons who we consult with so it, it, then after all that within a month record time we push it through and once we're all good on it we're all happy go 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 because my thing is i want to get it in customers mouths as fast as possible so that i can start to get real-time consumer feedback to make the formula better make the technology better that's phenomenal um so how many iterations have you gone through since um you know since since inception there's been so there's probably a million micro iterations um but uh full iterations the full projects we've gone from the very beginning of simple product just to prove the market to a unique product uh a unique a unique formula to, to, to prove that and then now we're on the third full iteration uh you know with with less than two years full iteration of a product um, you know, and so each round is like 
you know, a few hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars, a few million dollars. And next year I'm setting aside, you know, anywhere between six to $8 million um, uh, just on research and development to, to create those, the, the next device we're coming out with at the end of, uh, it's coming out this summer, but it'll be in stores the end of next year uh, for Christmas time. Uh, so in 12 months from now, we've got a product that already has double the amount of patents that we have on our mouthpiece. Um, and so we're rapidly, so as soon as we're, as soon as we move a product into mass production and we feel good, it starts to sell even before it starts to sell, we're already iterating on it, but we're also then creating the next product and utilizing everything we learned from here to build into this. So it becomes more aggressive and much more sophisticated as we go along. So for us, it's like continuing that iteration process is in our DNA and we'll never stop. I think, you know, they, I got the other day, someone commented and said, they said, Josh, you know, you sell tens of millions of dollars of a product. Why would you, why would you change it? Why change something that's not broken? And I said, because you don't wait for something to break to make it better. You make it better as soon as you have the current version. I'm already making it better because I don't want to wait for things to break. I don't have the patience for that. And the, our customers don't deserve to be sold something for 20 years that is outdated simply because we have market share. I think that we should continue to push that. I think that comes from inside because when I see something, uh, I'm not a perfectionist. I'm an iterist. I'm an, uh, I'm an iteration specialist. I can't help but think of how can we make this better? Um, but I'm okay selling as long as I know it's the best. I'm okay selling that. But in the back of my mind, I'm constantly listening to thousands of reviews from our customers and saying, we need to make this better. We make this better, this better, this better, this better, this better. And so eventually you have a product that is supreme and then I can, and then I can relax and move to the next product. But until that happens, my brain, like an engineer, is just constantly thinking of how we can make it better. How can we make our celebrities better, our, our marketing better, make more money for our partners and make our customers experience so much better. And the other thing I'll mention is our packaging. So not just the product itself, not just the formula, our patents, all of that. The packaging itself has gone through probably a hundred iterations. And so we've gone from the, the box, the, the texture of the box, the thickness of the box, the weight of the box, the material use of the box, how fast it takes for people to open the box, the shrink wrap that we use. Is it too thick, too thin? How long does it take for someone to rip open the shrink wrap um, to the paper, the inserts, every single thing I've trained my team to be okay to experiment. And so now our packaging department is like an engineering department. Our software team is engineering. Our sales team is constantly thinking through how do we market better on Facebook, utilizing different formats. It's not, so it's that it's teaching it top down. If they see me doing it, they're going to want to do it. And they yeah. feel it's okay. Yeah. You know, so that, that's how I, that's how I lead. Or you stagnate, you just, you, you lag and, and, and you lose market share completely. It has to be a top down thing. I 100% agree with you. It's, you know, in line with what Apple, you know, would do or any world-class, you know, um, company will do. Okay. You know, we talked about building a longer term brand, you know, and how that powers decision making on a daily basis, you know, in, in your case. Listeners obviously didn't hear our initial conversation around that. How, how did you, let me, let me take this back again. Um, I want to talk about the amount of money you spent, you know, because you're in this on the long haul, for the long haul so in the last 24 months, you know, how many millions of dollars have you, have you invested into snow 
as a brand? I probably put, I stopped counting and this, uh, this is bad because my account, my accountants are going to, uh, 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 they're going to maybe listen to this and, and come and slap me around. But, um, you know, I've, I've put millions of dollars just in the last 12 months of, of not just company money, the company money goes back into inventory. When you run a physical products business, if you're growing, yeah. the money just disappears. You back. never have money. Ever. Never have money yeah. And yeah. so I'm like, what do we do? And I said, I could go out and raise money. I know a lot of people, I think, you know, smile direct club, just raised $380 million uh, two weeks ago at a $3.2 billion valuation. And we're in a market that's five times their size. So when the time is right, I'm not afraid to go out and raise, you know, a colors. Um, I, I, I'm not opposed to that. Um, but it's easier to go and raise that money when you have tens of millions of dollars in sales on your own website. You've got all these huge retail partners, hundreds of celebrities. I have investors, my friends, and because when I sold my, my last company, I became an investor and I thought that's what I wanted to do. And I still, I still enjoy that, but I love, I love betting on ourselves. Like I love betting on myself the most and I'm young enough. I've got too much energy that for me, I'm, I'm going all in. Right. So for me, I've spent millions of dollars of my own money. Um, and if that means I have to be, you know, uh, homeless on the street or I have to sleep in the office, or if that means I've got to sell my Bentley or I've got whatever I've got to do, I don't care. Because for me, I know what we're building. And so I will, I will pour millions and millions of dollars more. And if I have to raise $100 million next year to be able to get our product on in every single store, I'll do that. Uh, I'm not afraid to do that. But uh, as of now, we're self-funded, we're bootstrapped. And uh, you know, the first round was putting a couple hundred thousand dollars of my own money just to get it going, see what it looks like. Then the next one was like, okay, now you got to put a million dollars in. And it's like, that's scary when you go to, you log into your bank and I've got all my businesses accounts uh, linked and I'm transferring from a personal account and I'm tra and I type in $2.5 million and I'm transferring that from my, my own account into a business account. And then it disappears because that goes to engineering products, all this, you see that, but then all of a sudden we have all these celebrities on our product. We have the team, for example, I'm able to hire a lot of entrepreneurs have come to work with me and be on our team because what they found and what they told me is I want to be entrepreneur. But I thought that I didn't want to work for anybody. Um, but what they really wanted was growth. They wanted no limits. And so I've created an environment where people that want to grow extremely fast, they, there's nowhere else you can grow as fast as in being in one of my companies because we have the resources, we have the experimentation culture, we're all entrepreneurial um, and we just move and go. And so they're like, okay, I can keep running my agency here. I can keep running my thing here and it's good. And I pay my bills or I can come here and truly change the world and still be entrepreneurial and still be able to do all this stuff. And so, and, and maybe even still, you know, a lot of our team members still run their Shopify stores on the side. They've got their own things to do uh, and that's fine. But what happens is they realize, oh my gosh, this train is leaving this guy, Josh is figured something out and he is not going to stop. And I'm, I've got to join this team because I want to be a part of that winning team. And that's when I realized that some of those entrepreneurs that join our team are looking for growth. They're looking for purpose and they want to make a mark on this world. And they think they have to do it alone. But when they realize that they can do it uh, amongst other eight players, I've been able to attract some of the smartest people in the world to join our team because we've created that environment. I created that from a top down. Once you create that environment, a plant that wants to grow, a seed 
that is thirsty and wants the sun and wants to grow in a field that's always growing, if I can provide the water, the sunshine, and the and they see plants around them growing, but the field together we're conquering new ground, so the field is ever growing. They feel that they can grow forever, um, and they don't have to plow the 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 land. They don't have to do a hundred things. They can focus on what they love to do because what happens is an entrepreneur figures out a skill, they make money from it, then they become their own boss, but then they get clients and those become their bosses. And then they realize they're no longer doing the things that they got excited about entrepreneurship. They love to, for example, they love to buy media. They like to buy Facebook ads, but now they're having to send invoices to clients. They're having all these things. And I said, look, we'll take care of that. Come in and do what you want. And how much do you want to spend this month? Do you want to spend a million dollars this month? Let's spend a million dollars this month. And it's like, wow, I was used to spending 50,000 a month across all my clients. You want me to spend a million dollars a month. And I say, at least, at least. And that type of environment attracts people to become their best. Fascinating, fascinating. Speaking of um, people joining your team, where, where are you based? Where, where, what state are you you're based in the States? Yeah, we're based in the States. We're based in Arizona, uh, right next to California, which is really good for me. Because, uh, you know, California is incredibly expensive to live in, a lot of competition. Uh, you have a lot of companies there that, uh, you know, raise a lot of money before they make any money. And, you know, they, they're, they're good at spending it. They're good at maybe investing it. But uh, ultimately, being in Arizona has um, created an environment where I can, I can feed off of California's energy and their workforce. But being in an isolated environment where it's about actually creating a business, actually making a profit, making money. And so uh, we're in Arizona. We're about an hour flight from Silicon Valley, uh, about an hour and a half uh, flight from Silicon Valley. So I can hop on a plane right now. And in two hours from now, I can be on the San Francisco, you know, Golden Gate Bridge talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And um, I've always wanted to ask, um, you know, um, people who are guests on my show. I don't know whether you've noticed, but have you noticed uh, a number of like, retailers, online retailers, especially Shopify online retailers, I hate to use that word, but um, based in San Diego in, in California, what, what are your thoughts? Is, is, there, is, there, is, it, is it just a coincidence or is there a cluster of businesses, of, of online retail businesses based in San Diego? Not, not Arizona, that is. Yeah, there is. I think because, so I, I used to spend my summers in, in San Diego and I, I go there very often. Uh, it's about an hour flight and uh, beautiful place, beautiful place to live, but they have a very similar environment as Arizona. So okay. they're south of Silicon Valley. And so what happens is you have real business builders there that want to sell real products that, that maybe they're not, they're not uh, engineers. They're not software developers. A lot of yeah. times business they, they, you know, I think, oh. I think that's the businessman capital of, uh, of California. And then you've got obviously Silicon Valley. I'm not knocking it at all. I, I admire Silicon Valley. I admire New York city but you have these like pockets that are right next to it yeah. where people kind of gravitate toward. And I think that's what's happening in San Diego. Fascinating. Fascinating. Just a lot of like Spotify brands or, you know, um, five-year-old brands, let's put it that way, digital native brands are just sprouting out from, from that part of America, which I've been finding quite fascinating. I just thought maybe it was the weather or, um, or what have you. Oh, the weather's great. Yeah. The, the great. weather, the beach, well, the food. I mean, it's, it's a place to live. I mean, if I wasn't, if, if California didn't tax so high, if they weren't so rigid on their business, business structures, Arizona is like a wild, wild west. You know, it's like where the cowboys, 
Uh, it's not totally like that. It's very modern. It's, we live in Scottsdale, Arizona. So it's a, it's like a London, a mini version of London, Beverly Hills, very, 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 uh, executive type, but also very, uh, you know, outdoorsy mixed with modern and all that. So San Diego has a lot of that because the weather's perfect. And so in Arizona, we get to 120 degrees Fahrenheit during the summer. And so it's a very hot place. So it's nice to get away to San Diego and hang out on the water and hang out on the beach. But for the other six months, like right now, it's the best place to be because you don't have to deal with rain. You don't have to deal with snow. You don't have to deal with any of the elements and you can focus on business without having to be distracted by the beach. And it's hard for me to be productive. If I got a beautiful beach right outside, it's hard for me to focus on business. I want to be out swimming, surfing. You know, it's hard for me that Arizona, you get to focus on business and escape San Diego for an hour and, and do that. Yeah, fascinating. Very, very interesting stuff. Okay, um, I'm, before I, we, um, I'm very respectful. I want to be very respectful of your time, but I, I, I don't think we've touched on three topics and I'm going to brush them really quickly. The first is TV advertising. What's been your experience with TV advertising? Do you, are you doing it continuously now? Um, please just shed some more light um, or tips on, on TV advertising. Do it to listeners if you can. So we're doing, um, we're doing a, uh, the new version of TV advertising. It's connected TV. Okay. That's where we're starting. Eventually we'll be on regular TV, but um, connected TV is, you know, Hulu and, you know, Netflix is thinking of maybe adding ads. Um, you know, YouTube is, you, you know, people use YouTube as their television now. Yeah. And so we're running a lot of YouTube advertising, Hulu, uh, a lot of connected TV. And our experience has been uh, in many ways, we're able to get lower customer acquisition costs because we have the attention. Um, we're not competing with five different banner ads. We're also, our product is very demonstrable. So it's, you're, you're showing it, you know, you got 30 seconds to show how the product's used. You show the celebrities and then you tell them to go to your website. Then once they come to the website, and the nice thing about connected TV is you say, click this commercial to get the special offer. And so they're on YouTube, they click it, or they're on Hulu. They click it right then and there while they're watching it on their laptop. And so they don't have to, they don't have to pull up their phone to do it. It's right there. And so attribution is very consistent for us because we can track when someone clicks, Googles, boom, boom, boom. So connected TV has been really good for us. We're also uh, experimenting with podcast advertising, mm -hmm. uh, which has been uh, successful for us thus far. You know, we're also doing radio. Uh, and so those mediums have been kind of abandoned and uh, not focused on. And for us, we're very focused on radio, TV, retail stores, offline. I love offline. We're online focused. That's for us. But we really love the offline uh, uh, reality of, of, of the fact that people, people still watch TV. People still go to the store. And so we want our products where everybody's at. Fantastic. What about retailers? Um, so what is your retail distribution? You're 12 months in business. Um, what, what, what strides have you made in um, getting into stores? Is this future plan or are you already in stores? Is Smile already in stores? Yeah, so so we're putting snow everywhere, uh, and it's it's going to be in all of the uh, select retailers that have you know hundreds of locations, whether it be Costco, QVC, uh, Sephora, Ulta. Um, those retailers are coming to us because they are constantly looking for products that people want, and and the nice thing is we we're seen by you know up to two million people a week through our own advertising, through our own celebrities that when people are in store, they're like, oh, I saw Floyd Mayweather use it. I'm going to grab one. Um, and so we have the ability to drive foot traffic 
um, into those stores using our celebrities. For example, we do things like signing events. So, you know, getting Miss Universe to be, you know, at a certain store and have a thousand units there and she's going to hand sign every single one that you purchase. We can drive online to offline um, like no other brand. And we had Amazon, Amazon actually approached us uh, and said, you know, why aren't you guys on Amazon? You know, you, you guys are a killer product. We see you everywhere. Why aren't you on Amazon? Because they said, we've never had so many people search for your product on Amazon and you're not even on Amazon. So what we're doing is it's a reverse retail model. And now the retailers are coming to us and we've created the packaging, the product, the margins. We've made it so that it's a heavily, heavily retailable product. And so far, our retail partners have been very respectful of the fact that we don't need them, but we want them and they want us. And so it, it's a unique uh, conversation because it's not about, oh my God, we need to be, we need to be in this store. Or we're going to go out of business. It's like, we would like to be in that store. What does that look like? Let's talk about it. And so now we're talking to the family that owns the rights to Marilyn Monroe, for example, uh, and figuring out how do we do a Marilyn Monroe timeless collection into Ulta, which they have, I think three or 400 stores of makeup stores. And so combining those resources and not being in a hurry to get those right. Um, and then the, the, the other thing is we displace our own sales online to push people into retail, which is very, very controversial because we're giving up margin to in order to even break even in a retailer because we want them to never take us off their shelf. So I could get to cheaper on retail than, than I'll get it on your website. That and also we're, we're pushing people when, they, when they're going oh, to buy. Okay. And if there's, a, if there's a store, we say, hey, go to the store, don't buy it from us. Okay. And that's very, very controversial because it's not supposed to be that way. But we're thinking 50 years out. We're thinking we want to be in these stores for 50 years selling our toothpaste. And we need to show our good faith that we're going to be a good partner for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're building a lot of leverage with them and you're, you're, you're keeping your, your, your products on, the, on their shelves, essentially, while you're driving that traffic. They want you to drive traffic, you know, hungry traffic or thirsty traffic. One yeah. of the things we're doing too is we'll even, we'll even pay to have premium placement uh, in retailers or on TV shows. We will pay our own money. We'll pay for everything. And they're like, wow, brands never do this. And I say, well, it's because well, we know what we're doing. You're close to California. Um, what about, have you ever tried to like, um, any, have you, are you toying around the idea of um, subtle movie placements or, you know, TV show placements where, you know, you, you know how people pick up a bottle of Coke or Pepsi and, you know, it's not always coincidental. It's, it's sometimes just product placement in, in the TV show or, um, or a movie. Have you, you toying around that idea? Yeah, we're doing it with, um, so we work with a lot of uh, music uh, musicians, um, you know, that get sometimes hundreds of millions of views on their YouTube music video. And so now we're looking at how do we get, you know, uh, uh, Gucci Mane or, you know, whoever it is, Selena Gomez, and she's doing her makeup in the video and she's got snow in her mouth and, and that's it. It's just there. It says snow on the front. She's doing her makeup, takes it out. Boom. So we're doing music videos first and then we're moving into Hollywood with the same, the nice thing is the same agents I work with, uh, they are huge fans of our products. So they're looking at the new movies coming out and saying, oh, it would be perfect in this scene if Nicole Kidman was wearing a snow device before bed and she takes it out and then she's arguing with her husband. Um, so we're looking at those as well. And the nice thing is that it's a product that is very attractive and it's premium and luxury. So if it's, a, if it's too cheap of a product, 
um, it doesn't naturally fit in those movie lines. And because we have a very uh, expensive product in terms of what we spend on our product, you know, we spend more on a cost of goods basis than the retail price of our competitors. So if a competing product costs $60, we're spending more than that just to make the product. And so it creates a moat that now you have to be either heavily funded or you have to be crazy enough like we are to lose money on driving market share. Um, and so for us, it creates a good match for movies because we're able to place them in organically. And if you see someone, you see a, you know, a Tyler Perry movie and someone is a lawyer and they're using a cheap product like one of our competitors, it doesn't really match. It's not attractive. But if they're using snow, it's sexy because other celebrities use it. It's like, of course, you know, a Tyler Perry character is going to use that. He's successful. He uses snow. Um, he wouldn't be using strips or he wouldn't be using another company. He'd be using snow. So it makes the storyline a lot more believable, too. This circles back to building a, a longer term brand, you know, a brand that, that's more for, for the long haul. Okay, speaking of which, what's a retention rate like um, with, with, with snow? Is, is it a, a replenishable product or um, do, you, do you buy it and keep it for life? So what we did is we did something again that was very unorthodox. What the, the other companies, the big companies do is they want you to keep coming back into the store to keep buying more strips, more products, because they don't sell like we do online. They have to rely on those retail partners. And so what we've done is we give six to 12 months of product in one system so that you don't have to go back and buy a product. And what we found is that it is a replenishable product. Um, people come back and buy whitening uh, serum packs from snow and they're able to replenish that. But what we found is people come back and they buy another system or another uh, for their family, their husband, their wife, because exactly. they're getting compliments. Exactly. So we're selling more products. Um, but then what we're doing is with our toothpaste, our mouthwash, our floss, that's a subscription product. And so it makes sense then to exactly. get them on the subscription, but we have the lowest return rate in our entire industry because our product works so well. Um, and the other thing too, is if you buy our product and it works incredibly well, it's unlike anything you've ever seen and you can't, you can't get it anywhere else. You're going to stick to that product because that's what works. And when we launch our toothpaste and mouthwash, you're going to be like, Oh, my white teeth are thanks to snow. Now I have the opportunity to buy more from snow. People want to buy a lot more from us. We just don't have the products yet for them to buy. But next year we'll have, a whole line of products for them to buy on a daily basis. They can yeah. buy products from us. Uh, so that's kind of, that's kind of how we built in. It's, it's, unorth it's unorthodox because generally you want to sell something like a shaver that immediately they have to keep buying new ones on. Yeah, we wanted to give someone the value. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. 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 This is, I think this is one of the best conversations I've had this year in a very long time this year. I don't want to upset anybody, but in a very, very long time. Um, so average order value wise, um, I see like you get 50% off with a kit, you get, you know, um, 65% off with a bestseller and then you get, um, the best value, um, with a three kit. Um, what do people tend to gravitate towards? Um, one, two or number three, sorry, this is in British uh, so in, in pounds. What it's showing me here is, um, 118 pounds for one, um, 175 pounds for two, and then um, 253 pounds for, for three, which would bring it to about right. $80. So you, you, you know, you're saving like 
80 pounds, sorry, 80 pounds from 116 um, will be about um, 47. Yeah, 47, yeah, I, I would think. 37, sorry. So, no, I'm just so, wondering. The way it works out, it, yeah, the way it works out is is if if someone is living with someone else, if they're, you know, what we find is a lot of best best friends will say, let's buy two and you can just Venmo me the money or um, I'm going to buy one for my wife or one for my husband or I'm going to buy one for my mom. And so they'll generally buy two systems because um, they don't want to share the same mouthpiece with each other. But what we also find is it makes such a good gift and it's a high value gift. It's like if you give someone a, a gift that's $60 or $30 or something that's a gimmick, it doesn't carry the same value as something that is the best in the market. And so uh, what we found is when people gift snow, they're saying like, here's, here's the best on the market. And they're like, Oh, thank you. It's a thank you. As opposed to what are you trying to say? I have yellow teeth. Um, it's, it's like, thank you. I've been wanting that. So we find that a lot of customers are buying two, three, four units because they're giving them as gifts. Um, they want to have one to travel with one to keep at home. Um, you know, dental offices will buy a hundred kits. Uh, you know, med spas will buy a hundred kits. Uh, and so we, what we've done is we're not looking to make money on people buying additional products. If we can break even on that sale, that's fine because we're building that brand loyalty. We want them to buy, if they could buy five, I want them to buy five because guess what they're going to do? They're going to spread it like a virus exactly. to all their friends. Because and so we want to give them more. You're so confident with your products about your product. And I'm, I'm just loving your upsell here. Um, so, um, you know, I just added to cart about to check out and I could just see like, um, you know, upsells for the serum, um, an add-on for sensitive teeth. Um, and then there's like just the package, the, the, the whitening system in itself for, for $75. Um, it's brilliant, man. Um, yeah, this is, this is interesting. Really, really interesting stuff. Is there any other thing you want to, to say? Any other tips you have for, for listeners? No, I would just, I would, I try to leave with everybody with, um, uh, you know, on the, uh, on one side, if you're working somewhere that, uh, is, 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 is paying, is paying your, your bills and, and, but you're not, you, you feel like you're limited or you feel like your, your growth is limited. Look for, you know, everybody likes having a, a job at a big company because it's security and all that. And I get that. But if you're someone that, you know, wants to grow fast and wants to learn a lot and wants to be, wants to be with a company for 50 years. It's like recently over the last few decades, it's been normalized for uh, young people to move jobs every year and work in 50 different companies. Uh, that's not normal. Uh, that means that, uh, you know, you're trying to figure yourself out. That's fine. But, um, you know, joining a company that is not, is not going anywhere and that it's going to continue to grow is, is exciting. And then on the entrepreneurship side, creating that opportunity and thinking long-term and, and, and not just focusing so much on ROI and thinking, how can I double down on my, on what we're doing? And if that means you have to have a side gig to pay your bills, but your main business, you re reinvest everything, um, thinking bigger and thinking longer term. I watched, you know, 20 billionaires give their, their advice and almost every single one says, I would have told my younger self to think bigger, to think longer term because it's so hard to build something. And it's even harder to continue to build it for a long time. So thinking of the markets that you're in, or, and you know, are you are you just doing drop shipping, or are you just ru running off a trend? That's great. You're you're building an income, but in order to build wealth, you have to. The irony of capitalism is you have to give everybody else an opportunity. You have to give everybody else credit. You have to give your customers the utmost respect. 
like Amazon does. Um, you have to be thinking solely for the customer, solely for your team. And if you do that, you're going to attract the best people in the world to work for you. You're going to build opportunity all around and you're going to build the best product and the best brand. And the, the entrepreneur doesn't get paid day one. The entrepreneur doesn't get paid along the way generally. If they're lucky enough, they create enough value that they one day can either merge with a bigger company, sell it, or they build it where they can keep it. And I build businesses that are sellable but I'm never looking to sell a business directly. I'm looking to build it where it's sellable. Sellable business has great brand value, great numbers, great team, great innovations, patents. That's a sellable company. But a sellable company, if you love what you do, you never want to sell it. Because what I would do is if I sold snow today, I would just go out and start something again. And for me, it's like those building of the foundation of a business is like building a building. Build the strong foundation. Reinvest in the elevator make the elevator faster so people can get to their higher floors, build the biggest building in town so you can have the most people in there, invest in the gym, invest in the pool, invest in the amenities because people want to feel comfortable where they live. They also want to feel comfortable where they work, but they also most importantly want to feel confident where they're going. And that's the job of a leader. And if you're not fearless, if you're not thinking long-term, if you're trying to spend all the profit on yourself and you're not, and you're, you're, you're lowering the standard, you're trying to hire cheaper people, you're trying to outsource to the cheapest person, Think about what an A player can bring to your team mm -hmm. and recognize that one A player can do the job of 10 and, uh, and they want to, but they don't want to be led by someone who's short-sighted. They want to be led by someone who genuinely puts their money where their mouth is and is willing to work harder, longer, and put all their money into the business. Then all of a sudden, the irony of capitalism starts to kick in and people want to build a valuable, a valuable company. You should go into speaking also. <laughs> amazing 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 um have you got time for our evergreen lightning round or um <laughs> have we pretty yeah, good okay awesome um how do you hire people uh linkedin is is my best resource awesome all right what are your three indispensable tools for managing your businesses uh i use a tool called monday monday.com allows me to keep the whole team intact. Mm -hmm. um, Google Calendar. Mm -hmm. I am religious about my calendar. I schedule everything, even time to, to sleep. Uh, uh, and then I would say my phone. I mean, being able to talk to people and get in front of people, even through FaceTime or like we're doing now on Zoom. So those are three tools that I could not live without. Awesome. What's been your best mistake to date? I mean, a setback that's giving you the biggest feedback. Um, I would say... Uh, I would say income chasing versus wealth building. Mm -hmm. Back in the days. What one piece of advice can you give e-tailers keen on 10x in their direct-to-consumer businesses? I would say uh, take advantage of existing networks, uh, you know, whether that's Facebook, whether that's LinkedIn, uh, whether that's a friend you know who's really connected. Share, be proud of what you're doing. Share it with people, and you'll be surprised at how many people actually want to help you out. Super, super, super point there. Um, if you could choose a single book or resource that's made the biggest or highest impact in how you build, in how you view building a business and growth, which would it be? Uh, I really, really liked multipliers. It's talking about how to, how to hire multipliers and how to multiply your best talent uh, in your organization. Uh, that's been a book that I, I, I read probably a book every week, but, um, and sometimes two books a week if I'm traveling, but multipliers I think was as a leader, thinking through who are the multipliers in your business 
And how can you yourself be a, a leader who multiplies uh, the talent that you have in your organization? Amazing. I'll check it out. I've not heard, heard of it. Josh, thank you so, so, so much. And I think the, the main point you know, I've taken from this is like, thinking bigger and long-term, you know, and just using that to, to build momentum. I'm still going to go offline and ask you, you know, how quiz you and a few other, you know, points, but, you know, being respectful of your time and listeners, I'd just like to thank you for, for turning off for, for today's episode. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. So that was a wrap on this week's episode of 2X e-commerce. Remember, you can catch me every week and also send your questions and comments on Twitter using the hashtag 2XEcommerce. Keep yourself in the loop by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. It only takes a few seconds and it means you'll get the most up-to-date episodes to help you grow your online store. Do have a good one till I catch you on the next show. Bye-bye.